I've come to quite like having low vision as silly as that sounds. You're listening to Legally Blind. Don't for one minute think that if you can't read music, you can't compose. A podcast with Bobby Gelder. How are you a Paralympian? That's a question I ask myself every day, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been a better time to be disabled, Bobby. Today, Bobby chats to Carl Schwanick. Hello and welcome to another episode of Legally Blind. My name's Bobby Golder and this week we're going to hear from yet another inspirational example of somebody achieving a huge amount of success whilst working with severely restricted vision. Um, this is Carl Schwanick, a multi-award winning, highly acclaimed jazz drummer, entrepreneur and academic hailing all the way from Calgary in Canada. He's recorded several albums of his own music. He's played the top jazz festivals in the world. He's run non-profits. He's got a Cambridge MBA and he's built an ice rink in his garden, most impressive of all. So it was a real privilege to talk to him. Um, if you're enjoying this podcast, then I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a star rating, which would massively help the podcast grow and uh, allow other people to find it more easily. Um, but on with the episode. I really hope you enjoy it. How's it going, Carl? I'm fine. How are you, Bobby? I'm <laughs> really well. Thanks for coming. And thanks for having me. This is a really great uh, initiative that you have. It's, it's fantastic. I'm really glad you think so. Thank you. Um, for, just for context, do you mind just telling us a bit about your condition and, and what kind of vision you have? Yeah, so um, my condition's had a couple of different names over the past 30, 40 years. And, and um, the medical technical term is um, congenital cone dystrophy. And this is a condition where your, your pupils are fully dilated, uh, your eyes are letting in too much sun, uh, your cones don't don't function very well, so you don't see color. You have very little depth perception, um, and and you don't see very far. I mean, I maybe see a couple centimeters uh, at the most clearly, and then after that, it's it's just shapes. And so the 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 theory goes that there was a um, a king from Hawaii that had this condition, or or at least um, had the genes that would be a precursor to the condition, and he had uh, single handedly populated the island by being with the, the women who were sent to this island and then the gene pool was full of this condition and then everyone else afterward had the condition and it, and it was normalized you can imagine if a whole society has something that you know we on the mainland think is different they don't think it's different like kids are outside during the day like running into each other because you can't open your eyes during the day it's too bright and they were doing lots of stuff at night and anyway it's you know it's it's fairly rare however i do know that there there are in terms of the globe there are a lot of us out there with it um you know tens of thousands of us with it um and, and it's a varying scale i have one of the worst um degrees that you can have of it and some people you know will will have maybe a lighter uh, version of it and and you know truly it, and it was something that i had since birth too which i think that um you know, uh, speaking with you a little bit earlier, I think that uh, you knew you, you know people that have come into a disability later in life, uh, which yeah. for me, for, from my perspective, and I'm obviously biased, but that feels more challenging. You know, having this from birth, um, it, it to me, I don't know any different. This is this is my world. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if I were to all of a sudden become differently disabled right now, I think that would be really tough completely agree yeah I, I met somebody with exactly the same condition as me I was I think 18 at the time and he was 54 um, I'd had the condition since I was 10 he had just been diagnosed with it 
and we sort of did a kind of you know show and tell who, who can see how much and the way he'd been describing his condition to me he really sounded like his vision was so much worse than mine and I thought gosh this is this is disastrous he's gone from perfect vision for 50 years to to much less than me it turned out actually he could see more than me but he had no history of adapting there was no I I was lucky that my condition deteriorated quite slowly during my teens and those are quite adaptive years anyway right so you can find ways around things quite easily how did you start getting into music? Yeah, so I um, and this this also kind of a childhood story, but um, the house that I grew up in, uh, it, it, my sister and my parents, they they were all musical in some way. So my father was a band teacher in school, and um, we we had a, a few rural schools where everyone had to play in band; it was mandatory. And so, um, you know, it was naturally it was natural to pick up an instrument. However, before that, um, that they had essentially forced me to play an instrument from the age of five or, or four, somewhere around there. And I started violin. And uh, I have to tell you, Bobby, I can't, I honestly cannot remember a single day out of those 10 years that I enjoyed playing the violin. Really? Um, but, you know, it was a rule of the house that uh, you, you have to play an instrument or you can't live in the house. You did and well to so... last 10 years. <laughs> well, tell me about it. So essentially at the beginning... It, it, as a lot of parents do, they, they, they let you try things and sometimes they force you to do things. But it ended up, you know, moving in a direction where it was the drums and percussion was something I really liked, really enjoyed and uh, really worked hard at and was able to study uh, music on the instrument as well in university and, um, you know, start a career from there. So, you know, and, and music continues to pervade in our lives. So my wife is a professional musician. My kids both play uh, um, various instruments as well. So, you know, this is the 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 arts play a very special role in our in our lives and and always have. When you play, I'm sure you found your way of getting to know your kit. But w- say you are having a day where it's it's worse, or you know you're you're a bit stressed or you're a bit tired. Do you rely on the on the small amount of vision you do have to play the drums, or do you kind of completely? let go of what you can see, forget about the vision, go with your ears, go with your feel? That's a good question. Uh, and, and, you know, that could be asked, that could, that could be asked to, to many different people who even aren't disabled in, in terms of jazz because jazz is so organic. You know, I, I truly do feel that a lot of things in life, broken down to their simplest, are based on muscle memory. Um, so, for example, in front of me, I'm looking at a keyboard and I have my phone in front of me. Um, you know, I don't really need to see a lot of things on my phone. I never look at the keyboard um, because those things are muscle memory. You know, I played very high level sports uh, as a teenager. I played volleyball, basketball. Wow. I couldn't see the net. However, everything, everything in that sport is, is muscle memory. Um, and then there's some reaction, of course, to what the other team is doing. But, you know, if you want to shoot a basketball, um, you don't have to see the net. You just have to look down to where you are on the floor because there's markings everywhere on the floor. You know, you're in the key, you're at the foul line, you're at the three-point line, you're at the half line. There, there's all the different markings, and so you don't need to see the net clearly. It doesn't really matter. The same thing is with the drums, and actually I would say that music is even simpler than that because there, there's no there's, there's no one trying to steal the ball from you. <laughs> you know, when I'm at the drum set, there's no one trying to steal my sticks. Um, and, and, you know, if it's my drum set, I mean, I set it up the same way every day, every gig, every time. And so it's not... 
a visual exercise, in my opinion, um, to play music. Um, the, there's there's two sort of caveats to this. First, it you know someone's th someone's listening to this and they're like, wait a second, but you have to read music. Okay, yes, and and no. Yeah. Uh, it 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 depends. I read music. I read music very well. However, um, um, I don't really see the intricacies of the music, and it helps that I that I play the drums because, you know, when I was playing the violin, you know, if there was a, if there was a B, and then there was a B flat, and then there was a B natural, that was very challenging for me to see. You know, I'd have to get in there and have to. Well, is that is that? I don't really know. Whereas on the drums, I, I'm, I'm able to, and percussion, I'm able to read the music so much better because I can just see the, see the shapes and the figures of the notes on the page. There are only so many combinations of notes um, in terms of rhythm. And if I'm not having to read a sharp and a flat and a natural and, and some other very intricate things that happen in string music, um, you know, it, it's, it's much simpler for me. Do you have the music on a screen very close to you when you play yeah so i have this i have the stand and, and i have my left hand right next to my left ear right now i have my stand literally as close as possible uh to my face on my left side which is right above my hi-hat and um that's only when i actually need to read the music closely uh, mm. but this could, because this goes to my second point the second caveat to all this is that jazz music is an oral tradition yeah and um you know, jazz music was based on this oral tradition. So coming from America, coming from Africans that were coming to America, uh, generally as slaves, um, a lot of the music coming from uh, a lot of the southern growing fields where slaves were working, these people were not people who were reading music. However, they were making music and they were often writing music and they were yeah. musicians. And um, a lot of what happened, and, and, and then we had the big band phase, which is actually very different, and then now, and then the small group phase after that, going into the 40s. And so what happened in the small group phase was a lot of it became uh, improvised. You know, big band music was very, very written out. It was very sort of methodical. Uh, yeah. And it still is to some respect. And, and um, some of the Dixieland music that came before that was was based on some predetermined formulas. It wasn't written out, but it was predetermined formulas. Now, the small group jazz came along. The pieces got longer. Uh, the solos got way longer, especially if you like Ornette Coleman, his 30, 30, 40-minute solos, you know, people throwing <laughs> beer cans at him and all that stuff. <laughs> I think that would be a context to nick someone's sticks, right? <laughs> 25 so, minutes exactly. through a solo. <laughs> exactly. So a typical piece, even then and, and now, um, you know, in a small group would have maybe one sheet of music in, in, in jazz. And sometimes it, the piece is only half the page or sometimes it's only a few lines. Yeah, and then yeah. after that, there are solos being, being done by members of the band and that kind of thing. And that, that's purely listening. And so knowing the kind of music, knowing the style of music, knowing how the drummers played is such a big part. So if someone gives you a piece of music, it's a new piece, and they say, okay, Carl, this is a Count Basie song. Well, I already know, number one, basically how it's going to sound. Probably it's one of like three or four tempos, and it's going to have a certain form. Because Basie was pretty classic in, in the way that he wrote and had his, his big band music. Um, whereas someone else might say, okay, well, this is, this is kind of like a, a Dave Douglas feel, but maybe it has like a Terrence Blanchard kind of intro. And so for me, I have to know those styles in order to to read the music better because if i don't know those styles 
or those people or the history, uh, then I'm, I'm purely stuck with, with reading the music and, you know, my vision doesn't allow for that. So Right, so if the chart just says, like, tempo and then some notation, then that's a lot harder than, you know, more stylistic construction. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, and a lot of what we do as drummers is interpret. And uh, we, we interpret the music, we interpret the parts. We're not always playing exactly every little piece of the part. And so that's, that's, that's sort of how I've, I've gone about that. And, I, and, I've, and you know, I've, I've come to this place where I, I do sight read quite well, but again, the read is, is in quotations. So, you know, as a jazz drummer, um, you don't need your eyes quite as much, which, which works in my favor. Have you ever been called upon for like, you know, a big band gig or, um, or something where there's a lot of tempo changes and a lot of uh, maybe you've got to change to, to different instruments or there's really specific notation um, or if you always kind of steered clear of that kind of work? No, 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 for sure. I, I've definitely been in those situations, sought out some of those situations and, and that stuff is, that stuff is, uh, is fun um in in the sense that it really does push you really does challenge i had some some weight on the word fun then <laughs> it pushes everybody whether you have a disability or not but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, some of that stuff that you you were just mentioning can be pretty athletic and and so again like listening to the band uh having good musicians you're with if the bass player doesn't know what's going on in the music i mean good luck if you're a drummer because yeah. It's going to be pretty tough, but um, there are there are ways that, that you can um, you can work with it. But really, at the end of the day, Bobby, and I think you would agree with me here, but experience is, is really what brings you to these places where you can adapt. So, if you're if you're listening to the music that you play, for example, big band that we're talking about right now, if you've if you've tried to play a lot of it, if you've talked to people about it, you think about it a lot. That's really how you get to a place where you're able to do something at a high level. You can't just step in and, and say, oh, yeah, I can do this. No, it takes time and it takes work. Yeah. Oh, I've definitely been in situations where uh, someone I don't know has asked me to do something. And I've explained a little bit about my vision, but not in enough detail, really, for them to really understand. And I've I've shown up and I've tried to use the experience that I have and it hasn't quite been enough to like really, really <laughs> pass the test. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Ath- being a, a little bit athletic and thinking on your feet is um, something something to learn for sure. A big part of uh, the kind of you know musical theatre, Broadway, show band kind of scene. I know you're you're mainly operating in jazz. Uh, is the kind of depping circuit where. You know, you're called in last minute to cover for a part. And on some of these shows, it has, it's so mechanical. You have to be like, it's got to be exactly the same every night or people start complaining or whatever. So there, there's a lot of those cases out there, Bobby. And, and, and those particular ones that, I, that you just mentioned, I stay away from those. So, you know, if it's like a, a traveling show like Broadway Across America, Lion King is coming into town. They don't call me, but even if they did, I wouldn't do it. That's not really something, you know, I had an opportunity to audition for Cirque du Soleil one time, Canadian company out of Quebec. Um, really amazing, amazing music. But boy, you know, the kind of attention, the visual attention to detail you need in those parts, yeah. um, you know, can, can be quite challenging. I do love this term that you use, depth, though. I mean, that's a very uh, British term, very English term. Oh, um, it when, is. When I lived in, <laughs> when I lived in England, uh, I, I remember someone first saying to me, hey, do you want a depth? And I'm thinking, what the <laughs> heck is that? <laughs> what do you guys say? So kind of, 
Well, we say sub, right? That's short for like substitute, substitution. Substitute. Would you substitute for me? Would you sub for me? Yeah, I think that makes more sense, to be honest. <laughs> you know. I mean, from from my perspective, yeah. But I, you know, I, I don't know. Depth is kind of is kind of interesting, and it's almost like you know. Um, uh, when you, your quavers and your semi-quavers and all that kind of stuff. It's like your own, you have your own language in, in, in your country. Yeah. I think dep is like, you know, if you're talking about deputizing for someone, it's like being being their kind of admin bitch, being a kind of, being my, my deputy. This is my deputy. It sounds very formal. It sounds very, very government-like. It does. Oh, yeah. This is my, my shadow drummer. We have shadow secretary. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really interesting, Carl. And yeah, you're right. It it basically comes down to experience: what you can and can't take on, what you can fudge, and what you can what you can kind of get away with, and what you can end up doing better than a lot of other readers because you're using your ears a lot more and you're interpreting maybe more sensitively. So yeah, I mean, some of the obvious questions to do with to do with sight loss. Um, in terms of your music, we've we've covered, you know, like how you cope with sight reading and that kind of thing. Um, personally, for me, I find the everyday tasks, it's the recognizing people, it's cooking, shopping, that, that's the, the really difficult thing. It's the stuff that people don't really think about. Um, can you relate to that? Is that a similar experience so, for you? <laughs> you just listed like the top three hardest <laughs> things in my life. <laughs> Recognizing people is is number one. You know, you you and I and many others have jobs out there that are very 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 public. You know, whether yeah. we're artists or or in in my case now in in academia, um, your job your job is very public. Your job is working with and for and and for the enjoyment of people. And, um, you know, we're not at home coding in our computer, which is also a cool job, but you don't have to recognize as many people mm-hmm. um, standing in front of you when you're at home on your computer. So, you know, that that's that's hard shopping. You know, I'm not sure that um, grocery stores ha- realize how challenging it is to walk down an aisle and know that there's something in that aisle that you need, but you can't find it. Sometimes I think they're hiding it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's why that's why it's nice to if you if you can go back to the same store all the time and hope they just don't change anything. Um, yeah. And I can't remember the third thing that you said. Oh, getting around, yeah, which getting is also around. you know. So this is this is it's you know I grew up on a farm as I was saying. However, it's it's beautiful to live in these big cities. I have to tell you that living in the big city is is the the greatest thing. Um, that, you know, is, is, I guess happened to me for almost 20 years, but I mean, it's the greatest thing for people like me and, and I don't know about you, but, you know, instead of having to arrange for someone to drive me to drive 10 miles into town and oh, then man. get something at the store and then arrange for someone to drive me home, you know, I live in the big city. I can just walk five blocks and I'm at the store where I can get, you know, shampoo or deodorant or what have you. So, yeah. I mean, that is, that's the most beautiful thing. And, and now the world is becoming so much smaller. We have the ride sharing companies. We have the Ubers out there. We have, you know, taxis are better than they than they used to be. Mm. We have public transportation. You know, you're talking about the tube. We have a train here, so you know it's it's. Uh, I, I I love living in the big city. I mean, the country's fantastic, and you know, places like Cambridge and and the place where you went to school, which I shall go unnamed, um, beautiful <laughs> cities. Awesome that you can get around the cities on a bike. I mean, that's very cool too. But I love these big cities. Yeah, I have, I have a bad bike story. It's actually quite a good bike story. Um, 
I was cycling in this city that apparently we're not allowed to name um, <laughs> while, while I was a student there. Um, I was very, very silly. I was cycling without lights and at night, and that's unadvised at the best of times, yeah. even if you're fully sighted. Um, I got stopped by the community police, um, and they said hey man you're, you're cycling without lights you're not allowed to do that i was like oh sorry yeah yeah i left them at home um he said they said we're gonna have to report this can you fill in this form please we need to take your details and i said oh, i'm really sorry i'm i'm partially blind i can't read your form do you mind helping me fill it in and it just sort of came out and i thought oh, god no he's going to ask me why i'm cycling he just he just said <laughs> And then he goes, oh, of course, man. Yeah, yeah, no worries. And <laughs> helped me out. <laughs> Back on the back I went and uh, <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> you know, that's, that's hilarious. And that, that's, so, that's so typical that that's a thought that goes through our mind is always like, ooh, if I disclose right now, what's going to happen? Yeah. I didn't even mean, I mean, I, th- I thought way too late, you know, this, this is a bad, a bad thing to say, but I got away with it. He, I, either he was scared of, you know, calling me out on it or, yeah. or he was just, you know, one track mind. He needs help. I'm going to help him. Well, you know, there was a time uh, 10, 15 years ago, I, I remember I, I jaywalked once in, in a big city in Canada and, and it wasn't, I mean, people jaywalk all the time. I've noticed in England, it's very common, just like New York, like London and New York, very similar. But, um, uh, so, so I jaywalked and the, there was a policeman on, on the corner of the street that I walked to. I I couldn't, you know, I couldn't see him from the corner I came from. And I, so I stopped when I got across the street and he's like, did you know you just jaywalked? And I'm like, no, sorry. There's there's no one around. Like, I didn't know if the lights were green or not. I said that, I'm sorry, there's no one around. And he said, give me your ID. And so I, I gave him my, um my card that showed him I was blind and he's, he gave me quite a lecture about jaywalking still. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. There's little things that happen all the time. And it sounds like to you too, there's little things that happen in life all the time where you think, Oh, whoops. Uh, that was not what was supposed to happen. And it's, and it's because you took some visual cue that that was incorrect. Yeah, and um, I do remember playing a, a very nice uh, jazz club one time in Canada, and uh, very very nice gig, great band I was with. I think it was one of my bands, and packed house, beautiful atmosphere, like you know Friday Saturday night. This is exactly how jazz should be, and um, I knew that a number of my friends or or family members would be there, um, but I didn't know where they were sitting. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's fairly dark, plus the fact that I don't see that well. So, you know, I'm kind of walking around and, and um, I see the person who I believe is my sister. And I go behind her and I just, I, you know, like one would do with their sister, I put my hands on her shoulders and, oh, it's great to see you. You know, what do you think of it? And she turns around, very clearly not my sister. And I was like, oh. And the, the, the guy she was with. Oh, there. Very, very clearly in a romantic relationship, he looked like he was gonna kill me, <laughs> beat me up or something. And I, I, I just, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, all this kind of stuff. And they just, oh, just glaring at me. And so, and okay, so I, I got out of there. And I think later, do you explain in that situation? Do you just, do you just run, or do you say I've got a condition? What's, <laughs> what's, what's your, how do you deal with it? Well, but the thing is, is when you're the band leader, people kind of know a little bit about you, right? 
Right. And uh, so I just kind of, you know, I kept saying sorry and I walked away. This is a Canadian thing, right? You just keep saying sorry. <laughs> um, and then I walked away, found out later my sister actually, she had never even planned to come to that show. And um, when I went up to the bandstand to start the next set, um, those two people had definitely left. They did not stay for the second set. And I do not blame them. That was pretty bad. But, you know, it's, it's, it's little things like that that, you know, they happen all the time. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting my hands on strangers all the time. That's not what I'm saying. But it's, there's, there are little small misunderstandings that happen all the time. You know, that uh-huh. you'll, yeah. you'll say to someone, uh, you know, nice to meet you. And they'll say, no, I met you yesterday. And as soon as they speak, you can hear them speak. You're like, oh, of course. You're describing so many interactions I've had, Carl. It's... But you couldn't tell who they were by looking at them. So there's all these little things when you can't see that well that make life, uh, how would you say, uh, interesting, I guess. I'm speaking to, to somebody here with an amazing record of uh, of accolades and awards and, you know, national tours, international tours. Um, do you have a kind of highlight of any of this? So I've played at many of the, the major concert halls in the world in several countries, a couple in your country and, and a number in the United States and all of them in Canada. And um, people always ask yourself, what's it like? What's it like to play at Carnegie Hall? What's it like to play at the Kennedy Center? What's it like, you know... And uh, I have to tell you that, you know, the nuts and bolts of it on the micro level, a, a gig is a gig. And, you yeah. know, for, for those musicians listening, they'll, they'll understand, Bobby, I know you know this, that, you know, at, at, the, at the smallest, lowest level, the gig's the gig. So, you know, you play the drums, you play the drums. It doesn't matter if you're in your house or if you're in your concert hall or, you know, 5,000 people, Montreal Jazz Festival or whatever. However, it's, it's, it's everything that happens around it. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the lead up and in non-pandemic times, it's, it's the travel um, and it's the people that you meet along the way and, and, and that kind of thing. And I, and I have to tell you that, you know, there's um, some of the, the major concert halls in the world are run fantastically well. So it's like this, it's this beautiful pleasure as a musician to even just come into that. You feel like you're taken care of from day one mm-hmm. and everything is in place and it's really terrific. People care. And there are other places that you play, and you know I'm not going to name them in case this podcast becomes viral, because then I'm going to get in trouble. But um... it's not a question of in case, Carl. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> true. Sorry, sorry, Bob. Hello, it's Bobby from the future here. Just thought I'd step in and congratulate 2021 Bobby for his confidence about how quickly this podcast would develop. Happy summer 2023, everyone. Um, there are other places that you play where you feel like you're inconveniencing everybody, not, not the audience, but, but the venue itself. Mm, and yeah. you, you feel like you're inconveniencing the, the stage folks. You feel like you're inconveniencing the, the person running the sound, um, the pe- person booking the venue. And, and you know, that, that's, that's not the best sort of headspace for the artist to be in. Um, but I have to tell you that, you know, there is something very special about, um, playing in front of a lot of people. I mean, I love the intimate setting of a jazz club, and I've played in several in London, and I love that setting. You know, that's the origins of jazz, actually, is those sort of small clubs uh, after big band came from the large dance halls and the, the small group jazz, creative jazz, came into the small clubs. Um, but when you get 
to those big venues, so the concert halls, the outdoor festivals, there's just, there's a different energy that comes from the audience. And I really do feel that that creates something different in the music itself. Again, playing the drums is playing the drums, but jazz is an improvised music. You know, the pieces don't go the same every night. They're different every night. You could go to a band 10 times, probably see 10 different renditions of each song. And so, you know, that, that part about it is, is really exciting. I feel like that's it's kind of why we go into music really is to feed off that energy from from the other musicians you're playing with, feed off the energy from the crowd, and the bigger the crowd, the bigger the energy, generally speaking. But I, I really relate to what you, you what you're saying about just the feeling that you you get from a well organized venue. I I've, was lucky enough to perform at the Royal Albert Hall in London and. You know, the, that first the first few bars I played, I was like, oh, my God, look at all these people. This is unbelievable. Um, but from then on, it really felt like I was playing in my room. I was playing. I was just playing with my mates on stage. And it was it was lovely. Let's, let's um, see, that's the key, Bobby. You, you can't look at the people too much. Yeah. Because, uh, because then you say then you start saying to yourself, wow, all these people came to see me. Ah, and then you miss something. And then you, the gig's yeah. a failure. So you're you're a performing musician. You're a recorded composer as well. Tell us about some of your albums. Yeah, so I I have um I have a number of albums out under my own name and and have recorded with several other people. You know this um uh, each project is is so different and so so very personal. Um, you know, and I, most jazz musicians uh, they they do compose to to at least some extent. And so that makes the the art performance, the the concerts, the albums uh, makes them very personal. makes it makes it actually fairly intimate. And um, my first album, which I guess would be twelve, thirteen years ago, um, it it was called it was supposed to be ironically called Visions from the Farm. And I grew up on a farm, and I was the front cover. If you've seen it, is is me playing my drums in the field in our pasture where we had the cattle. And there's the barn, the old barn in the background, and and you know you can you can see the the grass pasture and everything, and um, you know it's sort of a, a play on words with my lack of vision that I'm having visions from this farm, and and each of these pieces um, um, they're fairly programmatic in the sense that they they uh, not only do they work as one uh, long piece but they also um, uh, personified some of the qualities that that were uh, around this part of Canada, which is. So pretty classic, uh, pretty cliche sort of rural farming area um, of Canada, which is, you know, for a lot of folks, they'll know that part of Texas. We're, we're somewhat similar to Texas in some ways uh, um, like that. So, so you know, each of those projects is, is very specific in that way. And, and you know, that, that core group of musicians from that first record, I really worked a lot with them, um, you know, over the coming 10, 10, 15 years here. And you know, whether it was touring or doing other things. My most recent uh, album was just, I think, 2019. I can't remember when the record label put it out. I think they put it out in 2019, but I could, <laughs> I might be off on that, but it wasn't that long ago. And um, what we did was, um, uh, it was called Reinventions. And, and, you know, that group, that was the original group from 13 years ago. We got back together, and what had happened was all of our lives had had changed. I mean, truly, you know, since that first record, I had lived in um, a couple different countries. I had lived in several cities. One of the band members had moved to a different province, a different coast of our country, uh, 
Uh, one of them had um, taken a job that wasn't uh, necessarily music related. Another one had had a kid, and and you know, it um, we all sort of went these divergent directions, and then we came back together to do this project. And I thought, wouldn't this be wonderful? Because now we've had all these different experiences, and we're going to play some, not all, some of the music from 13 years ago, and it's going to be completely reinvented. And uh, the group really came together and, and brought everybody up with it. And so it, we think it worked out pretty well. And so, you know, without going through all the projects I've been a part of, it's, it's yeah. kind of the, the beginning and the end of what's happened so far. love just just to finish off um just to hear what you might say to a you know a young aspiring drummer he's uh, lost lost his sight and um what would you what would you say what kind of advice might you give there's you know it's a good question bobby there's a few things that i would say uh the first is that i truly believe that that everyone in this world has a disability i, I really don't feel that there's a perfect uh physical perfect human being out there and i, I think that some of them are are larger than others. Some of them are, are more manifest. Uh, uh, yours and mine, you know, it's possible. It's uh, it's a bit more severe than others. But you know, and there are some people who are, for example, lactose intolerant. I, I feel like that's a, that's a disability. It's a small <laughs> one, but it, it is one. Um, and so that's the first thing is that context, just to realize that, like, you know what? Uh, um, it, some days it seems like you're the only one that's different. Or, or, you know, me and you, Bobby, we're the only ones that are different and the rest of the world are, are perfect. Well, you know, we have to take a step back and realize, you know what, Every, everybody has something, something that's different about them and that's okay. And that actually can work for, for a positive, in a positive way. And, and that goes to my next point, which is that, you know, if you, if you put in the time and if you have the interest and, and if you can f seek out that support network, whether it's close to you as a family or whether it's more apart, maybe it's teachers or, or other people, um, there, there is a lot that is possible in this modern world. You know, I was reminiscing with, um, if it was one of my kids or, or one of the kids that I coached the other day, but we were talking about uh, different careers. They're pretty young, six, seven years old. And, and uh, they said, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I said, well, that's, that's really terrific. I said, you know, some of us, we're so old that when we were little, you know, if we were to say that, our parents would have said, okay, but I don't know how one becomes an astronaut because the information wasn't necessarily there. Whereas today, if I don't know as a parent, I just Google that and it's right there in five seconds. Yeah. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, whereas the opportunities now are open. The world is small. And if you want to do something, if you want to be a drummer, if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a podcast professional, there's probably a term, I just don't know it. Um, <laughs> It's there. The opportunity is out there for you. You can go and seize that opportunity. You can go and take it. Anything is possible in this modern world. So I encourage people to continue to keep that broad, um, the, the, the broad uh, uh, vision, pardon the pun, on, uh, on the world. And, and second of all, to follow what they may have interest in and, and follow their dreams. It, it, it is possible. You're absolutely right. Yeah. 
technology is available not just uh, in general terms like you're talking you know googling and uh, the information that's available and the opportunities that can present themselves with technology but also a bit more specifically for uh, people with something like an eyesight condition the assistive technology available I feel so lucky that I've I've grown up with technology improving as it has done because it's meant that I can do yeah do almost anything exactly there's never been a better time to be disabled bobby and that's like that's you know that phrase on its own is is kind of crazy but let me i mean it's just like you said if you look even a hundred years ago which compared to our our planets not that long ago if you look a hundred years ago it was not a good time to be someone who was disabled you know i my my uh family on uh, my mother's side we were we were settlers uh coming from your part of the world to to our part of the world and you know, quite honestly, people who were disabled, they were, they, they, they were discarded because every mouth to feed was so important, so precious. Everyone had to contribute. And if you were disabled and you couldn't contribute, well, you may, you probably had to go somewhere else. Mm. Whereas today, 2021, this is a great time to be disabled, in my opinion, best time in history. I mean, we have all the resources. We have the adaptive technology, assistive technology. We have people that are more aware now of what disability is. Uh, we have organizations and, and nonprofits around the world working to advocate for people who are disabled and, and make their lives even better. So, I, I, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. I wear black contacts in my eyes and, and use a few other assistive technologies and, and especially, you know, some of these Apple products. And I always tell people, I'm like, look, this is great. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, these things did not exist. My life would be incredibly challenging. But yeah. today it's better than it could be absolutely and it's only going to get better well thank you so so much for coming on the show carl it's a real privilege for me to talk to you absolutely bobby thanks for having me Hello, me again. Thank you so much for listening to Legally Blind. I really hope you're enjoying it. You're also very welcome to get in touch if you have any questions perhaps about how someone with low vision approaches a certain situation or maybe about how a sighted person can best help someone with low vision in any given context. I am literally all ears, so I would love to address any questions you might have in a future episode. You can get in touch directly via all my social media accounts, which are at Bobby underscore Golder. I'll leave links to those in the show notes, along with links to Carl's albums, which are all well worth a listen. Thank you so much and see you next week. Next time on Legally Blind. The miracle of Beethoven composing as a deaf composer is not the fact that he was deaf, it was the fact that he was deafened. Lloyd Coleman. Well, he used to be a cyclist as well. Did you? That was an awful idea, yeah. If you can't beat them, just join yeah, them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 